Welcome to the Etobicoke Historical Society's monthly oral history podcast. This podcast is one of a series of interviews of senior Etobicoke residents in the 1980s. The interview tapes were recently discovered in the local history room at Richview Public Library. We would like to thank the Toronto Public Library for giving them back to us so they could be made into these podcasts. These oral histories are a valuable and unique view into the history of Etobicoke in the early part of the 20th century, as seen through the personal experiences of local residents. We will be presenting a different interview each month. We hope you enjoy them. friend of mine, Ethel Ironsides, I met her by going up to the guide, joining the Girl Guides in New Toronto. Uh, she um, was going with this boy from New Toronto and his big brother was having his 21st birthday and they wanted some extra girls so she invited me and that's how I met her. So how, how long did you go out before you got married? Uh, I was 26 and I think I was 19. Oh, I must have been seven or seven and a half years right together. Well, why so long? Well, because he didn't have a steady job at the time. He was just doing whatever he could. And he, uh, he had two brothers and they were all out of work and they were all living on their mother's pension, one mother's pension. She had to, she lost her husband after the First World War and she just had her pension then and they were old enough that they weren't covered, but they all had to live on hers. So we <laughs> couldn't very well get married. Did, did all your friends wait or until depression was over? Was that the general thing to do? Well, I guess most of them did, but any of, some of them that had jobs, I guess, uh, steady jobs would, uh, would get married, but I guess most of them just didn't get married. I know that's why we didn't. Not till he got back on the, the hydro, called him back, then steady, and we got married. Uh, what would you do for a date? Where would you go? Oh, well, we would um, go to um, the old shows, the Rex Theatre, go to the show, or we'd go for a walk, or we, in those days too, you went to each other's houses, like, and anybody that had a, a piano. Uh, there's always someone could play, or sometimes my my husband's people had a, they had a player piano, and uh, quite often they had these rolls they put in, and, and a group of friends would all get together, in in ho in a home like that, and they dance and sing. And even when I before that I was a teenager, I can remember as a little girl the older people, my father and mother going in people's houses and and uh, well New Year's and times like that they'd have dances they'd do the Scottish reels and quadrilles and so on in the big kitchen that this lady had and uh, quite often on Saturday nights they'd do that or especially like for the Scottish it was always hug Monet, which was New Year's Eve that they had their big and all of us kids would go along too and then 
they'd get somebody would always start up playing on the piano and people would just sit around or stand around the piano and sing. And that seemed to be, as I say, in the winter, there was lots of sleigh rides and uh, all kinds of uh, hay rides and picnics. And down at Jim Kay's again by the beach there, I, I remember our whole church, they had a big corn roast down there and we were right by the lake and Jim had all these boards set out on posts for people to sit on and, and they had the big corn roast and then again they, the children went and this, they would sing and just sit by the lake and it was really nice, you know. We used to do a lot of hike, go on hikes and walks and walk, walked a lot, you know, to Hyde Park and all around. And we'd go to the island and they danced at the island. There was a dance hall at the island. There was a dance hall up at um, Long Branch Park. We would walk up there and go to the dance. It didn't cost very much. And then, of course, Miles is in Mimico here. They danced there, too. Do you know about it? Well, on Miles, there's a place called Miles Road, and he had a big house at the bottom of that, right on the lake, Miles Road. And he was an undertaker, and he had uh, uh, like a big field with nice grass, and he had this little house with a, a top on it, with just a round dance floor with a top on it. And I forgot, there must have been a piano or something, but we used to dance there. And he had animals, and you used to get, when we were kids, we'd get free donkey rides and uh, free ice cream cones, and uh, there we had a camel and an elephant there. We used to, we could always go there, and uh, then people used to come from the city out there for Sunday school picnics and things like that, and he, he gave that all free to the churches. and. Anytime we kids went up there, we could get free rides and we could dance. And it was a great place we used to go to, too. And the thing to do after church in the morning was all along the lakefront, there were beautiful homes then, great biggest houses and huge gardens. They had gardeners to attend them. They were really nice. And uh, several of them used to let the people walk through the gardens on Sunday just to see the flowers. And, and you know, they had it all fixed up just something like they would at the exhibition, only that was their home, but they used to let you go. I remember one was called Ormsby's. I don't know what they made their money at. And the other man's name was Featherston Hall, I believe. And they, we used to go through their gardens on Sunday after church, and the public must have been admitted then. And a lot of people came out from Toronto for for their summer here because they had summer homes along the lakefront. And uh, would you ever get to know the people that came for the summer? Or? No, they were very sort of kept to themselves, and we never ever. At least maybe some people in town did. I don't know about that. There could be so that they'd make some friends, but we never went there. The odd time we, when we were swimming from Jim's place, we'd swim up that way, and uh, sometimes the, the ladies or that would say, you're not supposed to be here swimming. And then some of us kids learned that they didn't own the water right, so we used to say, well, you don't own the water rights, and we'd 
swim right past up to what we call uh, stop 14, but that would be um, Superior Avenue. Sometimes we, we swam there and sometimes at Kay's Beach. And the stop 14, would that be for the radio line? No, that was the, the streetcar that went along. That was called stop 14. And, uh, but most, there's always kids down there at the beach and they, most of them used to come for the day. Our mother used to make us come home for our lunch, but some used to come and just stay there all day in the summer. They bring their lunch with them, I guess. And uh, oh, they'd play all kinds of games in the sand, and often they'd have a little fire. I don't know what they'd need a fire for, but the boys used to start a fire, and and uh, I don't know what, what they had that for, but I remember that. And uh, all the kids could swim. Nearly everybody went in swimming at the 24th of May. It was cold as ice, but you'd go swimming anyway. Okay, but uh, then a great thing after school, too, was Mr. Collette's drugstore. He used to be, when I was little, he was on the south side of the highway, and then he moved across the, to the corner of Primrose and Lakeshore Road. And his name was um, Mr. Collette. We used to call him Pop Collette sometimes. And he had a soda fountain, and it had like marble tables and those little uh, chairs that were wrought iron, you know, little, and he used to sit in there and he would uh, uh, give you ice cream, like you'd buy ice cream sodas and ice cream. Which and then after, later on he had a, a, a big, just a counter with stools. But when I was a little girl I can remember going in with my dad and there were little tables there that just sat down at and then he had the drugstore as well. Do you remember any particular I remember flavors that the, you really enjoyed? A couple, any? Did he have any sort of unusual flavors that? Uh, oh well, we used to get banana splits and all <laughs> different. They had different names for all of them. The different sundaes and sodas. I used to like pineapple the best, so I used to always get pineapple soda. But they had all different kinds. Yeah, they they were nice. And I could first ice cream I can ever remember was going down to Mr. Klett's with my dad and it, he gave him the ice cream in a little box, a carton, a cardboard carton. I guess it was, must have been waxed to hold it and it had a little metal handle and we would bring some home for my mother in that when we would sit at the little table and have ours. And we'd always bring her home some of our, you know, for them remember that. What some of the other stores uh, in Nemico would you? Well the, the one that I remember most when I was young was you know when you see these western stories where they walk up on up steps to a wooden platform that goes in front of stores and hotels well there was something like that on the north side of the highway uh, between uh, Albert and Superior and that man's name was Mr. Colton and he had that all you went, you went up these steps and walked along this wooden and had a roof over it and then you went into his store and he had two sections you went up a couple of steps to the dry goods part where they had a lady was there with a, a big ruler to measure out 
the goods, you know, you bought dry uh, cottons or ginghams or whatever, and then his part, he had everything, just a general store. And uh, I believe he had a brother coating up this way on Royal York, but we didn't go to that one because we were, this was nearer to us on the lake shore. And my mother used to go in there. I remember when Dad was at the war, we often used to go there. And then a Mr. Norris opened a store, who was finally the mayor. He opened a store right along from that and built a um, brick store. And I remember part of the Colton part, there was a Chinaman who had a um, laundry. And we used to take our linen table covers and my dad's starch collars on our way to school. I used to take those in to the Charlie Lim. That was the name of the Chinaman there. And uh, uh, Mr. Colton still had a store there for years. And then I guess he must have retired because I remember the they tore the front part down that I'm talking about that looks like the old westerns and there was various other stores. It was divided up. It had been much bigger and they divided it up into different stores along there. And I guess he sold them because uh, Mr. Norris then started and we used to get from him. And my mother had to, a man would come from Mr. Norris's with a buggy and um, a, no, a little wagon with a horse, and she would, uh, in the morning, give him her order, what she wanted, and in, by the afternoon he'd deliver the groceries. And we used to go down and pay him at the end of each week. We used to run a bill, like, for a week. And then and you'd buy your meat every day and your eggs and milk. Yeah, yeah, and the milkman came with the milk, and it was a man on uh, Elizabeth Street, and Johnson, their name was Ernie Johnson was the boy and his father and mother had cows and they used to have the milk and you had your pitcher and he uh, emptied it from the great big cans into your pitcher. He came and delivered that every day and then later on a um, milk a hillside dairy moved on to Mimico Avenue and then they pasteurized the milk and everybody said it was better to have the pasteurized milk, so then they started delivering that in bottles. But I can remember when it wasn't pasteurized and we just got it right from these big cans, right from the cow. Now, uh, clothing or, or any sort of gifts and that, could you buy that in, in Mimico or did you have to go elsewhere? Oh, yeah, there were, that Mr. Colton had, uh, I think mostly though mother used to take us downtown to Simpsons on the streetcar and I can remember the first time I ever went it was in the summertime and the streetcar was all open the seats were long right across like that and there were long steps going along as you went up and it, the, the man came to get your fare in a he had a, a box with um, a handle on it and it was metal and space at the top like a bank and he passed that around and you put your coins in. You didn't have tickets I don't think. It seems to me it was coins. Anyway, you whatever it was, you put it in that box. And then later on I can remember going to Cause Parade 
and we would uh, go downtown and then go in and see Santa Claus after. And we went on the streetcar all the way to West It's open streetcar? Yeah. Even in the winter it was open? No, no. They, they In the summer those open cars. Now it may have been to begin with, I don't know. But I remember being in the open one in the summertime. And the, you could see the lake right there as we went around the bend. It, the lake was right up to the, practically to the streetcar stops. That was, um, I don't know how the lake must have gone down or something. Or they, I don't know how that is, but there they must have moved the tracks back because you're not near the lake now, but you were because you could see the water and you were in the, right beside it. You had mentioned earlier uh, that during World War One they were hired up for, for uh, workers in some of the factories around here. Well, I just do remember the one, and that was the Surpipe Company back of ours. And um, at one time, I don't really know why, but there was a, some Chinese workers there, and there was a house, an ordinary-sized house, that had the, someone rented, and I guess they rented it from them. It was full of Chinese workers, and those Chinamen were very, they never bothered anyone in the community that I can remember, but I do remember ladies coming along around to our place to get mother to sign uh, a petition to get rid of them, and they were going up to the council. Now, I don't know whether they did get rid of them or if they just, uh, what happened, because I was very small, but I do remember that my mother saying, well, she didn't know whether she should sign or not because they never bothered anybody. But everybody said around there that we shouldn't have them because they might murder you in your bed at night because they just didn't know anything. Although we had Charlie Lem, a late, maybe he came later, I can't remember that either because when, when the Chinese were on our street, I wasn't going to Charlie Lem's, but it wasn't very many years later I took my father's uh, collars and mother's tablecloth to Charlie Lem and nobody was afraid of him, so why they were afraid of these, whether it was just because there were so many of them all in one house, but I can remember that. And I don't remember if the council did anything, I just remember the lady coming with the petition into our house. You know, when you were growing up, I guess, in, into your early teens, uh, Prohibition was around. And oh, yeah. I understand Mimico was quite a rum running spot. Do you remember anything about that? Well, I can just remember uh, kids at schools talking about certain ones. And I remember one girl that was in our class, and I don't think I should name her, but they used to say that her dad was a, a bootlegger. And they did live near the lake on the highway, and um, I can remember people saying that, and rumors, but I couldn't truthfully say I ever saw anything of it. How, how, would, how would they treat, treat this girl? Oh, well, I, I don't think, the, just, you know, how kids are, they all used to talk about, whisper about it at recess, but I don't remember not having anyone to play with or anything like that. But there was there was rumors about that sort of thing. Did you say um, church played an important part in your family? Well, I think it did because it was sort of the place that uh, 
everybody seemed to go to church that I knew. I can't remember any. Maybe, yeah, I can remember one family that didn't, and everybody seemed to think there was something wrong with them because they didn't go. You know, but I mean, not that they were ostracized from playing with them or anything like that, but uh, I would say the majority of people all went to some church, and they were very, uh, they weren't unfriendly. I don't remember even when the Catholic school started up, it built right back of our schoolyard, and I don't remember any quarrels with them, you know, with them being separated. Before that, I guess they went to John English School, and then they got their own school, and a lot of the children went there. And I can remember when we got to high school, we all went to the one school, and there, there was certainly no division between the Catholics and the Protestants. But I do think you more or less depended on the church for your uh, social life. And I remember when I uh, when I met when I was about 13, I joined the Girl Guides, and you had to walk up to New Toronto to Fifth Street School. That's where it was held. And until I joined the Girl Guides, and I heard about it at school, I'd never even been to New Toronto, if you can believe that. And I think I was 12 years old. But I'd never been to New Toronto, and I think I was about 14 before I ever went to on the streetcar to Long Branch and I went by myself and that was a big deal going on the streetcar all by yourself because the girl who lived next door to me, uh, Grace Cates, her father was just renting and then they bought property in Alderwood and he built a home there so she moved away. So I used to go up to visit her at weekends after because we'd been girlfriends for a long while and I'd go on the streetcar and get off at Brown's Line and her father and her would meet me, you know, and then afterwards I got to know where it was and I'd go by myself. And she would sometimes come down and visit me. And that was, that was something, quite a, quite a thrill. I do, the only time I ever remember leaving home when I was young was my mother went to visit a friend in Oakville and she took, that when my dad was away in the war, I guess, and she took us three kids in this train from Mimico to Oakville, and she packed a basket of enough food to last us for days, I guess. She must have thought she was going a long way. And we just got settled down, and she took the top off the basket, and the man called Oakville, and we were there. And uh, that's the only trip I remember going on. At, it, when I was very young, and I think it was when my father came home from the war, and, and uh, we were over eight or nine before we ever went to um, Niagara Falls, and I guess we went by the train then because my father didn't have a car for quite a long, long, long while. There were very few people in those days had cars of their own, and unless you uh, had a cottage up north, uh, those people probably went by train too. I don't know. There were a few I remember who had cottages, but at that time, not too many. And uh, what would be some of the other? Uh, you mentioned the corn roast uh, and, and picnics that the church would have. What other sort of activities, social activities, would they put on? Well, just just suppers. Uh, you know, the ladies of the church would all get together and they'd. Have, You'd all have your supper together, and sometimes afterwards they'd have a concert, several 
people would get up and sing or play your instruments and and all the kids would be there and at Christmas they, it was a big thing at Christmas you started training for the Christmas concert in September after school you'd have to go over to church to, to learn your parts and the choruses of whatever they were putting on for Christmas and it would be a whole play like with uh, Sometimes it was kind of religious theme, and sometimes it would be Santa Claus theme. But there would be elves or something, and each group, each class in the Sunday school would have belonged to some group in that play, and you'd have to go and practice your part. Some had one or two lines to say, and some just joined in the chorus. But it was all singing. They called them cantatas, and we used to go right after school from September on practicing these things and put them on at Christmas. And I'm sure all the other churches did the same thing. Sometimes the choir was involved, but um, I can remember we had just our Sunday school would put on the whole thing. And after that was over, after we put the play on, all the parents came to see their children in these uh, concerts. And um, then they'd have um, sandwiches and cake and coffee and uh, then Santa Claus would give out candy and he'd come in at the end and all that and uh, this was the way things were we just had lots of fun like that because you didn't have any radios I can remember when my brother built the first radio we had he built it out of a um, an old salt round salt uh, empty salt can and uh, we had to have we had two pairs of earphones and only two two people could listen, and that was called a crystal set. And then later on we got a small one shaped, uh, just a small one that sat right on top of the fireplace mantel, and um, that was the first radio that we had. And of course I can remember that's when we started listening to the um, hockey games all the men and everybody listened to them and thought that was great. Yeah. I remember Connie Smythe uh, uh, used to own a gravel pit and my dad used to uh, buy gravel for him sometimes for the town and I can remember he came around one Saturday afternoon and dad said oh well I'd like to see the gravel that wasn't very good what we got the last time so he took us in the truck up to some gravel where he had this gravel pit I remember he asked my dad to invest some money in his, in the hawk, in the arena he was going to build, and Dad didn't do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can remember him when he he used to come around looking for orders for his gravel. So that was his business before he got the arena going, I guess. Well, there was a lot of interesting people in Mimico in those days. What some of the other people do you remember? Some of the people stand out in your mind? Well, there was a man called Judge Davidson. I can remember him. He always came to church and uh, they had a big house down the highway and uh, I remember Mrs. Davidson quite often inviting us to come over for dinner when Dad was away and that was quite an interesting, you know, we, nice 
and then there was a, the man who was the baker, he was a Scottish man, Mr. Johnson, he lived at 65 Station Road, and we often used to visit there, and they were, uh, they, they had a bakery on Mimico Avenue, and um, on Dr. Searson, I remember him, he was really like a friend, because he was awfully good to us when when my dad was away too, he used, they always used to come to the house then when when you were sick, and he would he was nice. He was like a friend more than a doctor. And I remember he, re uh, Doctor Godfrey, was our representative in Parliament. He lived just on Albert Avenue, not far from us, and he was quite a, an interesting person too. And uh, I, I, we didn't have him for our doctor, but some people around did. But he went into politics, and then he always had a young doctor working for him. But uh, he, he was, um, we used to have to pass his house every day, and he had a big dog called Parnell. And we used to, uh, some of the boys would take a mouth organ along with them and play it, and this dog would make the awfulest noise. and they come to the door and window and tell us to stop it, you know, because this dog would go crazy. He'd just howl like something, like a wolf or something when he heard music. And we used to do it all the time just to torment them. Now Halloween we used to go to all these places and they'd give us candy. The drugstore, Mr. Collette, he used to give us chocolate bars and he'd throw them all out on the sidewalk and he'd scramble for them. And but when when we went to all our neighbors' houses on Halloween, we used to have to sing or dance or do something before they give you the candies. They didn't just do like, you know, bring you right in and let you sing or do something, then they give you the candies. What about some of the other uh, uh, holidays in Mimico? Um, for instance, May 24th, was there a big celebration? Oh, well, everybody... Everybody seemed to have their own fireworks. We didn't get together in big... Although when we came here to this house, we used to get together in the field that was out the back and put all our fireworks together, just a few the new houses along here. But when I was a little girl, I can just remember uh, my father getting so many sparklers and so many, and he, we, when it got dark, we went outside and shot them off, and all the other people around were doing the same thing. You know, we'd watch each other, sort of, you know. What about Dominion Day? Is there anything special for that? Dominion Day, I can remember only that on both of those days, we always put flags out. All, all the houses put flags out, crossed them. One was the Union Jack, and the other was the Canada flag, I guess, with a little with red with a little uh, crest on it. We always did that. We put Dad used to put that out on top of our house, and um, the other people, we didn't have a veranda yet. Later on, we put it out on the veranda, and all the other people did too. Everybody put them out. And also, when people were coming home from the war, they put flags and bunting, you know, all around the veranda and decorated the place up for the person coming home from, from the war. And um, I think on Dominion Day quite often people would go over to the island or like go, go for a picnic, go somewhere, 
but uh, that was about as far as we ever got. We didn't uh, go far away, like on holidays. As a matter of fact, my dad never got holidays. They didn't get holidays in those days. At least the ordinary work, working people. I, I maybe uh, I don't know about doctors and teachers whether they they would take two weeks, two months when they got them. The teachers. I'm not sure about that because when I was little, I can re not remember people having holidays around where I lived. They just didn't go holidays. I think um, I was quite grown up before my dad got holidays. And I uh, remember my dad and he, went, and my mom and dad went to Boston because she had a, a brother living there. And she'd never even, well, they'd come up a couple of times, but she'd never even been down there. So they went to Boston by bus, I believe. And that was the first holiday he ever had. So. What about Christmas? What? Uh... Well, Christmas was more like uh, for family, like, you know, just your family, but which we didn't have because. All our, all our family was the five of us, my brother and, two, and my sister and I and my dad and mum, because all their relatives were in Boston or Scotland. So they really, um, we didn't have much of a, we just had a, our family together. But on New Year's Eve, we go uh, to this other friend. They weren't relatives, they were just friends who were also Scottish. And they had this huge big room where, the, as I told you, most of the Scottish people that were all friends would mo mostly go there New Year's Eve just for the fact that they had room for all. And then afterwards, uh, you never, you always had to have a first fit, they call it. The first one in the, with first foot in the door in the new year had to be a tall, dark man carrying something didn't go in empty-handed so if if you we had left our home and gone over to Burns's on just over on the next street for New Year's Eve uh, we wouldn't go in the house before one of their boys a big boy with black hair would come over with a cake or a bottle or something in his hand and and uh, step through the door first ahead of us this was a custom they had. They used to keep that. And before we would go there, quite often people would come to our house, and Mother always had things ready to give them. And um, they would just call in and have a drink and a piece of certain cake they made at that time and uh, wish them Happy New Year and then go on their way, you know, to some other friends that they were going to, that was their way of welcoming in the new year. And then they'd all sort of meet at one place later and bring it in. They used to dance and they'd uh, hold hands like, you know, and sing all Lang Syne at the end of it. And, and all the kids would be up and running around the place too, you know, until it was time to go home. And we'd go in the, the circle when they sang. Uh, old Lang Syne, but the rest of the time we just more or less watched the big ones uh, doing their reels and whatever. They they got did it in circles and in fours, the dances, and the man used to play his accordion for it. How about uh, Robbie Burns Day? Oh, we always had went out uh, for supper on Robbie Burns Day because they had what they called uh, 
Scottish society of some sort, and we used to, I think it would be in connection with the church sometimes, but uh, the ones I remember most were at St. Andrew's Hall, it's now a laundromat down there, and we used to have a big banquet then, and they'd have the haggis and the piper and everything. Somebody would recite the, the poem to the haggis, and then someone would get up and talk about Robert Burns, and uh, the, the kids would be there then too, and we'd get our big dinner and so on. The ladies would um, do the cooking, I guess. Mostly the same people that we went to church with because they were all Scottish and mostly all Presbyterians. You always had a big day for that. Yeah. But you walk to all these things, you know. I mean, as I say, we still at that time didn't have a car. I forget how old I was before my dad got a car. I think I was even maybe about the time I got married before he got a car. So you just sort of walked everywhere. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Etobicoke Historical Society's Oral History Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and like. If you wish to learn more about the work of our society, be sure to visit www.etobicokehistorical.com. See you next month.